Investing and understanding your finances and planning for the future is so important for maintaining a clear understanding of how to enjoy your present lifestyle and to give comfort to your future self, especially when you decide to retire and make sure you have enough money for older age. A healthy understanding of your finances and investing can bring so much calm and reduce stress. If you discipline yourself properly, you can certainly bring sustainable wealth for yourself and for your future. Today on Spearlift, we will speak with an expert who can help navigate the waters of this topic. But before we do, and before we get started, please make sure to subscribe, like, and share this video to help educate more people on this important topic and to support and grow our channel. In this episode of Spearlift, I have the pleasure to speak with Mark Zorro. As the founder of Plan Vision, Mark has almost 25 years of direct client work experience in the financial services industry. He started his career helping smaller companies establish employer-based retirement plans. However, his efforts over the years evolved to primarily helping individuals plan and prepare for their financial futures. I will also include all of Mark's information in the video description. Mark, welcome to Spearlift. Thanks, Devin. Happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. And, and I'm so excited to speak to you about this topic today as it's kind of a precarious time talking about finances and investing as we're filming this uh, particular episode in 2020 and so many people have been adversely affected by the pandemic. But nevertheless, very important topic. And I want to start off, Mark, just please give our viewers a bit more extensive background about your work, what you do. And just from your point of view, give our viewers your take on the importance of actually preparing for your financial future, especially starting at a younger age. Sure. Yes, I've been in the financial uh, services industry for, I guess, yeah, 25, 26 years now. And I formed Plan Vision uh, in 2012 because I just wanted to work with people in a different capacity than in a conventional uh, distribution network where advisors work in an organization. Uh, and then also, um, I was becoming, uh, I was just uncomfortable with how Basically, people get paid, make a living. I thought there were too many conflicts of interest, so formed Plan Vision. And so the, what we do uh, now is is we have a, I would describe it as a high volume financial planning practice. We think financial planning and investment guidance is overly comp- is intentionally made to be overly complicated by the financial services industry. And so, and also investing. Um, we think it's quite a bit easier than, than, um, than um, people might perceive. And also a part of the model that, that I wanted to pursue was using technology like this, these kind of video conferencing and a lot of the technology support systems to allow a business to run efficiently in this capacity. So basically what I do is I provide financial guidance to many Americans, but also um, a large expat, what we would call expat uh, clients all over the world. These are people that are not necessarily just Americans, but people of all different nationalities in over a hundred countries. We help them 
understand what they can invest in and how they can put it put a plan together because a lot of those themes are the same from person to person regardless of where they happen to be from so that is what plan vision does that's how we provide guidance and assistance to to people and um yeah we think we're part of an industry that like many industries is going through some changes in 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 how those kinds of services are priced and how they're delivered to to people as far as your question about uh the importance of planning or investing or i guess the combination of the two <clears throat> at a younger age i guess i would maybe try to identify a few benefits that that um that come along with that um and you did make this the way you described it <clears throat> i thought was somewhat was kind of a good way to describe it in the sense that you are providing comfort to your future <laughs> your future self sure. the one of the important benefits of becoming more educated about your finances and how to invest and having a plan for your future one of the benefits of doing this at a younger age is without regard necessarily to how your finances work out for you in your 40s 45 50 55 meaning if you lose work or you make a bad investment to the extent that you become better educated and better aware at a younger age it does take off a lot of stress later in life a lot of the stress that can come along with feeling like you're not making progress financially that's one thing but another factor is when you just feel ignorant about what you're doing and that can be frustrating in many different ways and like all different aspects of our personal and professional lives so if you as a younger person even you know somebody it's it's never too old to learn this stuff but taking ownership of your financing finances at a younger age will um will certainly reduce stress another benefit and i suppose this might go in the category of it goes without saying i guess if you get uh if you uh, become a a a better planner um have good understanding of the importance of saving at a young age you'll just accumulate more assets and that is without again without regard to whether or not you have a lot of money however we're defining a lot of money people making well in excess of six figures to people that make much more modest incomes if they live within their means and they can start saving on a regular consistent methodical basis at a young age they're simply going to have more money in their late 40s early to mid 50s on into their 60s and that that's going to take some pressure off take some stress off and also might allow them more flexibility later in life as well so So there those are a couple of benefits of starting at a younger age and I suppose the final one I would mention and again this this is overlap with the the idea of taking you know of, of having less stress uh, because you have more you know you have more ownership of understanding how to uh, how to how to uh, plan and invest for your future is getting involved in this at a younger age just helps you become more educated about the financial services industry and how I guess if I'm going to be really cynical how they can take advantage of people um or just understanding how the financial services industry operates so you can become a good consumer. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's a really good insight. And you know what I find a little mind-boggling mark and I don't know if you can adhere to this or or speak to it. You know, th- these sort of topics are not taught in a lot of schools, you know. And they're not taught 
you know, if I think middle school, high school, for example, I mean, especially high school, I think it would be really pertinent. You know, it would make a world difference because I think this is kind of a, a habitual thing as well. It's kind of a learned thing. I mean, if you have good role models in your life at a young age and you you learn how the the importance of money and, and what investments, I mean, that can make a world of difference throughout your your whole life. But it's just not taught. It's not given a lot of credence, unfortunately. Um, and obviously there's a lot of videos and information mm-hmm. disseminated all over the internet where you could learn it on your own volition, but you would have to do that. I think it takes a lot of like natural instinct and will to want to do it. Um, you know, it, which is, yeah. <laughs> it should happen. But, you know, I think we, unfor- the thing is, I think we unfortunately learned too much later in life, the importance of having to have had invested when we were younger, you know? So is there, is there a way you think in general that could, this could start as part of the educational process at a younger age in a way? Um, certainly, um, well, you're correct in the sense that I'm, I'm not aware of any sort of a curriculum and, you know, conventional education where this is taught. Um, now, many people do actually learn it in their family. Uh, uh, most Americans, and I, I think this may be the case in other cultures as well, are very funny about money within their own families, even amongst their, you know, from, from parents down to children. Uh, and then certainly with their siblings and their parents, you know, it's kind of a, it's a little bit taboo, right? In many families to, to talk, oh, you make this much or you don't make this much that we draw conclusions and judgments uh, about people based upon their earnings potential. So money's a little bit off limits in a lot of families. As far as you're right, uh, I should, I should maybe clarify. I, I think there are some, some, you know, maybe in high school, there might be some teaching of investing classes but just financial planning and understanding finance and and how to put together a plan and how to understand this that's not a normal that's i don't believe it's part of many curriculums in in high school or college um you're right there are a lot of resources that are available Uh, a lot of books my gosh a number of books have been written on personal finance but it is come down to many times the initiative of an individual to want to get more involved and to begin to seek out this uh, this kind of information. Um, one of the benefits certainly of the of the the web is the ability for people to more easily access you write videos or online um, books or at least know where to go shopping for books that will provide background for that. Um, how does this and certainly parents can play a role too in in at least folk putting their kids in the in the right direction. Um, if your question to me is how do we actually make it a bigger part of our i'm not sure that i can give an answer on how this becomes more ingrained in um in in how we raise people i suppose this kind of it's 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 really a a question of consumerism are you a good consumer of financial products and part of that is being educated and there are area other areas too you know it's kind of interesting i've always thought to myself that um, in addition to you know saying something like we should teach our kids this i suppose that's debatable upon who you talk to but 
should we teach our kids how to shop for healthcare? I mean, uh, you know, like, I don't even know if I can, you know, how do I go? Do I price out to like what the cost of an outpatient? Like, that's just like, it's a foreign concept, everyone. So yeah, it probably fits in the category where we could do that, but it's likely not going to be happening. At least that's my take on it. So yeah, it's up to the individual to, to, to get on that. Now I can provide some ideas on things that I think are important for people to begin to learn about. Sure. I mean, and we'll, we'll get to that uh, particular notion in a second. And thinking about what you just said and, and the question I poised to you, I think in, in a certain way, and with the times that we live in and the way technology develops and the accessibility and, and information overload as well, it's like getting information so di- direct and marketable to a sense where it's engaging and also fun. Like I... When I think of Dave Ramsey, for example, like when I navigate on his sites and <clears throat> things like that, I'm not saying he's the particular best example of this, but what the the user ability and way of educating yourself about money seems very approachable, and it seems to be to you know all types of people. So I think that kind of way of approaching and making it kind of fun and accessible and, and entertaining in a way is engaging because I don't think. Traditionally, a lot of people are so engaged with learning about, you know, how to handle money. So it's, yeah, like you said, in a way, sort of taboo and things like that <laughs> in yeah. certain certain circumstances. Can you um, elaborate a bit more, Mark, about your um, model and how and how, how the way you approach this whole subject is different than how, let's say, traditionally or yeah. and it's still in operation, some financial companies approach um you know, uh, the, their clients about investing. Can you speak to more? Yeah. Um, well, I'll talk about the investing side. And I would make a distinction between what is investing versus planning. So yeah. if you are 22, 28, 35, whatever age you are, and you want to invest and you have uncertainty about that, we would try to provide some guidance or recommendations on what we think would make sense based upon your based upon your your situation. Um, so the our viewpoint on investing in trying to explain this to somebody is that you would establish kind of what their goal is. And really, frankly, for most people, when we're talking about investing, it's a long term. You know, they're usually the two primary things they would save for would be their own retirement or financial independence or independence or or whatever they want to call it and then maybe their children's education now beyond that there are some other things they may want to get a home or something like that but if we're talking about long-term investing that's typically the two primary goals that they would have so we would try to provide some explanation in a fairly condensed period of time on what the stock market is which is we use generally conventional investments. We consider the stock market to be the most mainstream method people would invest. How you access the stock market historically, what it's performed, understanding the, vol- the volatility of it. So that is a part of our job to provide some explanation on what, the, what that is um, to our clients. Our clients will come to us or people will come to us with a wide range of experience. Some might not know anything. Some are actually quite sophisticated. They need a, they need need us to help finish the job. So when it comes to investing, it would be providing some explanation of what an investment is, how it performs, and what their expectations would be. And so the one of the most important things that I've 
come to come to realize over the years and this again probably applies to basically everything is that our clients that are looking for guidance and advice that their expectations match what we can do or what we purport to do otherwise that's going to be a dissatisfactory relationship so we would want to provide some explanation of what they can expect from their investments over a period of time now our viewpoint now it's easy for us to say this at plan vision is that this is really simple right mm -hmm. but that's just not like i mean this is what we do so it's simple to us but um again we think the financial services industry grossly overcomplicates the whole thing and 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 so another part of our model if this is what you're asking about when we when our clients engage us when we're trying to provide advisement to them and i say that it's simple what i'm also implying is it doesn't take us that much time to provide this explanation and this guidance therefore the way that we charge and this is really an important feature for those that want to learn more about the financial services industry we think it's important that they understand when you're looking to make an investment that um, that that you understand whomever it is that you're working with, how do they get paid? What is their compensation model? Do you get so you know we get paid a small flat fee when people hire our services, $150 for the first year, and then $8 a month if they want to they just renew with us going forward. And we actually think I mean that's a very profitable model over, over as our business grows and as we pursue volume. But understanding how how, a, how the financial services company or an advisor is compensated is really a valuable, uh, it's very valuable to informing you about how there may be conflicts of interest between what you want to accomplish with your investments and what the advisor wants to provide you in their products and services. Uh, so back to our model in what we're trying, you know, what we do is provide, provide that education or guidance. So for example, the, the you know, 29 year old wants to open up an account. We would recommend low cost index funds and they can open up an account depending upon where they live in the world with a broker or a company like Vanguard or Fidelity here in the States. That process just doesn't take that long. But um, in our model, we don't want to get compensated based upon the product they use or what we refer them to, we just want to have a small flat fee. Therefore, it doesn't matter ultimately to us what they do. Uh, it doesn't affect our compensation. So as far as our model goes, um, I, I would certainly characterize it as saying we work fast with our clients with the intention of trying to uh, help them understand how simple this thing really is. Um, and, and so that's how our model works, is um, doing high volume. Um, and that even sounds somewhat impersonal. Uh, we don't believe it is, but that may be how it comes across. Um, but again, our viewpoint is that the financial services industry intentionally overcomplicates um, investing and even planning to justify higher fees. Now that's really interesting, Mark, because the way I've come to understand how traditionally the financial industry investing firms operate is this 1% assets under management fee. And the older you get, um, and let's say, and I don't want to get too technical because I, I know mm -hmm. these things personally and maybe not all our viewers do, but let's say you get into a retirement age. Let's just say you're around, I don't know, 66 or so. Sure. You're going to retire. 
and you are with a firm that charges 1% fees or sometimes more. There's some that charge 2%. Yeah. So it's quite substantial. So if you're withdrawing a certain amount each and every year and you don't have cash on the side, you're just taking it off the top of your portfolio, right? Or the gains at least. You're having to take into mind, depending on the type of uh, account you have, the fees or uh, taxes, obviously, long-term capital gains, and you're having to take into account the 1%, between one and 2%, depends on the firm, of AUM, assets under management. So that can, that can grossly eat into how much you really are taking out. I'm not talking about social security, so let's put that aside. We're just talking about the investing money. So that can grossly eat into, um, you know, your, your savings. So I think what's interesting about your model is that you, it seems to me that you charge more of a flat fee rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like that traditional model, the AUM one per, uh, between one and two percent. When actually, you know, I I think for investing, you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to overcomplicate this. You, this is a set and forget thing, and there's gonna be ups and downs, and there's gonna be rolling waves and tides and hurricanes. Like this year, one of the worst years since uh. you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So there should be you know a much more set and forget thing, and that's why I think even companies like let's say Betterment or Robinhood or, you know, companies like that who do charge, they do charge, let's say, AUM fee, but it's it's less than 1% usually from what I've seen and yeah. what I know. So going back to this, the the, the up and coming, let's, I, I, I don't know the generation name because there's always a Z yeah. and a, a Y and a K and I, I don't know. But like I have, you know, family members who are within the age bracket of the you know the 15 24 year olds the younger you know and they have this sort of mentality the sort of mindset of you know minimalism and less consumerism in general right consuming things um you know my advice in, and they they, they want to learn about money, but they don't want to have to manage it either. So I think the set and forget things and the set and forget mentality and let it grow is is equally important. So yeah. what I told to them personally and kind of in line with what you're saying in a certain way, it's like open a Roth and go through a certain company and you don't have to and, you know, check once a year or so if you want and forget about it. I mean, how do you, does that kind of fall in line with your, your yes. idea and how you do that? Yes, it does. Um, the premise of our business, and we're not certainly unique in this way. There's many proponents of this. It all started with John Bogle and Vanguard back in the mid seventies when he rolled out the first index fund, which is now quite a worldwide phenomenon, um, is that um, all you really need to do is to own the markets represented by what's called an index fund or an index ETF. They're very low cost. And by doing this, you will participate in the growth of the markets. And that's the kind of set and forget or couch potato portfolio. There's different um, expressions that will describe this kind of investing. The point of it though, is that it's not complicated. It's relatively simple, actually very simple to do. In fact, companies like Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity, all have excellent low cost 
target date funds that people can use. That's why I have all my money in a Vanguard 2045 target date fund. It's an all-in-one fund. It will slowly get more conservative to the point at which I need the funds. Can you so, explain that a little bit, Mark? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Just for our viewers yeah. to know, what, what what is that whole concept and idea of investing in a target date fund and how does yeah. it work? So target date funds, I think Vanguard's target date funds are the world's largest investments. They're used in a lot of different employer-based plans, and I would recommend them really for anybody for the most part that has access to those funds unless they're you know people that wouldn't be able to access those expats or something a target to date fund is a fund where the investments are considered to be invested appropriately based upon your retirement date your retirement date is your target date so if you're 30 and we're using 65 or 67 has the target retirement date that would be 35 years from now and so your target date is 2055 so you would invest in the vanguard uh target retirement date 2055 that's like that's an in choice now that fund is at this point about 90 percent stocks 10 percent bonds it will stay 90 percent stock 10 percent bonds for probably 12 to 15 years then it will begin to slowly get more conservative has you age from 45 to 65. So the 90% stocks, 10% bonds, which is classically an aggressive portfolio, by the time you get to your target date, it will be something more like 50-50, 50% stocks, 50% bonds. Now, when you use a target date fund, it doesn't mean you have to retire then or you get to retire then. Your money's not locked up in these funds. It's just a very simple, hands-off, appropriate way to invest. I think they're fantastic. And I have a question about that, um, Mark. If is there still enough momentum, let's say, on the latter part of that way of investing to still get decent growth? Because I've heard uh, sometimes some sort of, uh, you know, sort of stipulation. Well, you know, it doesn't grow enough, and Correct. towards the end, and I'm I lose out on a lot of maybe a good bull run or so, or something. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? Well, the, the longer you have in the market, the more likely you are to make a higher rate of return. So the investor that has 20, 25, 30, 35 years, they can, they're going to participate in more what we call bull runs. And a bull run is when the market goes up. So, what happens is, correct, as you get closer to your target date, the portfolio gets more conservative. So you have less likelihood of participating in a higher growth bull run because you have less in the stock market. On the other hand, it's also typically going to be the case that that investor doesn't need as much return. And what, what, what will become more important for most all of these investors at their age of retirement, whether it's 75 or 65 or, or 60 or 55, is they're going to want more stability. They're willing to trade off growth for stability because they're living off the money. Sure. So you do want to reduce the, normally you do want to reduce the volatility of your portfolio as you get closer to the point in time in which you're taking the money out. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, a lot of people who may have retired last year or retiring this year would have never expected to be retiring in a year like this and have 30 plus more 
you know, percentage points down the portfolio. It's devastating, you know? So. Yeah, it, well, this has been a weird year, just to clarify. The mar in the first two weeks, in, or not the first two weeks, but there was a two-week period in March where I think it was the worst two-week period in the history of the markets. It was a panic. And people didn't know where the markets were going. It was very disconcerting. Now, if you're 25, 35, 45, 50, and you don't need your money for 12, 15 years, it really shouldn't in any way affect your portfolio if if you have an understanding of this is what the market does. Even, even, even with how disconcerting the whole thing is, right? Now, after that two-week period, the market stabilized and they've actually recovered their losses. So, and that's not, you know, people can't be surprised by the markets. One of the biggest market events ever was in October of 1987. The market was down 25% in one day. I remember when that happened, I had just started my career and look, I mean, it had no impact on me, but that was such a staggering loss in one day. And we didn't have the kind of social media that we have now that people felt their lives were that any retirement that they wanted to have was over or was going to change. It was just devastating for people that had accumulated a lot of assets to see that kind of a loss in one day. People remember that day, but by the end of the year, the market had recovered. So the markets can move very quickly and violently. And the, staying on the similar topic thread, because I get, I've gotten this question and a couple of people, you know, said, well, ask Mark about this as well. If he has some sort of Oracle idea. Yeah. Um, and firstly, I don't think like in the same line with what you were saying, like we never know really what the market's going to do. And I, I think it's, there's a bit of naivety to think that we can predict or control or oh, yeah, expect. Definitely. I mean, this is literally impossible. And this year's demonstrating a lot of, you know, uncertainties that oh, yeah. always out of our control for sure. Do you, even though this is an extremely, let's say in a way impossible to answer, do you, do you think the market this year going into next year will pick up or remain stagnant or we just don't know? <laughs> well, we, we don't know. <laughs> uh, however, I have to say, it wouldn't surprise me if the market ended up having an up year. And a part of that is just because the market can't surprise me anymore. Uh, you know, John Bogle, who's famous for what he did at Vanguard and um, persevering and persisting with this concept of the index fund, said that he learned very early in his career when he was quite young, um, I think remember his first job, somebody pulled him aside and just said, hey Bogle, nobody knows nothing. And the point is that, yeah, those commentators, it's fine to provide forecasts and ideas about what the markets are going, but nobody really has any idea what's going. If you had told people in the middle of March what the markets would do and we'd have all the kind of stuff going on in the states here that we do and have this whole pandemic thing and all that. but the markets would get back to their highs i mean come on who who would have said oh yeah yeah that's uh, i'm gonna go long on the market. I mean, you know I'm, I'm all in it's it would have been a preposterous notion yeah no, i just don't think we know i just yeah. like you said if you're if you're more than 10 years out from retirement you shouldn't even be worrying about it or thinking about these things i mean it's yeah, I, up, no? I mentioned the idea of expectations when you're a consumer at any age and how you work with somebody and how important those are. And I would certainly, you know, 
caution people when you're looking for an advisor. Advisory firms that promote the notion that they can stay ahead of the market, or that have some that have some sense of what's going on, to me, that's a huge red flag. However, there are many consumers that like to believe they exist and to like to hear that. Oh, you're going to be watching my money and you'll take advantage of that. When we set up our business in the way that we did Plan Vision, it's liberating for us to not have to, I believe, you know, uh, kind of uh, imply that we know what's going on. We don't. We don't know any more than, than anybody else about where the markets are going. Uh, absolutely. You know, you just, it's just something you can't put a needle on yeah. and try to spin anything. You know, what, for our younger viewers, Mark, if I'm, let's just say, just to take advantage and get a grip of your life when it comes to finance and investing and, and you know, taking control of the understanding, not control, like pull and yank it, in, no. but control of, in the sense of understanding. So let's say, you know, I'm hypothetically 15 to 25 year old, right? My, this is just my, my personal advice, but you're the expert on this. Yeah. My idea would be the, the, on the forefront of everything is, especially if you're in college, you know, I think debt is the biggest thing to take into mind. So don't get head over heels and hopefully not, you know, uh, jeopardize your situation, especially in the, at that, between that period of your life to get into too much debt. You know, I mean, student loan debt is a huge burn for many people. Uh, credit card debt, um, rent, whatever, you know, like just spending without thinking, right? My, my sort of insight into that, you know, age, let's say range would be understand what you're put, spending your money on, what loans you're applying for. Don't get into debt as much as you can. You know, everyone gets in debt in some way, but watch your debt, open a Roth, you know, ETF through Mark <laughs> and, um, and that's it. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. A comment I would make about somebody at that point in their life would be even before the investments come along. And you mentioned Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey has done a world of good for people to develop a method and some confidence to get out of debt. And which for many people that have been through the, through that and and have found themselves in horrible debt situations <clears throat> it's a life-changing experience for many people to get out of it and some they're just insubstantial and unfortunately a lot of people have debt where they just don't have the earnings potential they just can't you know uh, they're just going to be in debt for quite some time so yes debt can be um uh can be very damaging to people's financial, long-term financial situation, also to their psyche as well. So um, assuming that you're going to get in some, I wouldn't, you know, I, I would make it a priority to try to get out of it. Um, if it means making sacrifices in other areas or living a frugal lifestyle for a period of time, doing whatever you need to do, um, that would be a first step that would make. And then as a part of that, or maybe in conjunction with that, these two things go together. Understanding where you spend your money, many people call it budgeting or expense tracking, is really valuable. I, did, I was guilty of not doing it until my early 30s. 
uh, because I never really felt like I needed to. Uh, but then I had some setbacks professionally. Um, but then what I actually did uh, when I was living by myself in my apartment is I, I took a notepad, uh, a, a, you know, a lined piece of paper and literally wrote down everything that I bought. Um, whether it was a, you know, something out of the vending machine or a, or a bill. And so I could see them on my refrigerator. That was, um, and what I became um, very attuned to by doing this is not spending money. And personally, for me, it was, uh, it was rewarding to do that. Socially, it was a slap in the face because I couldn't do things that I wanted to do at an age where I felt like I should be able to do these things. But that was uh, important for me to go through that process. Yeah, very important, you know, and sometimes you just live and learn, right? And yeah. This yeah. is the way it is. Mark, just to finish our conversation today, what would be, I, I don't know, I guess if a potential client were to go through you, what is, what is the best thing that they may be able to understand to ensure that understanding money and finance and investing is a sure thing with you and they could they can not only let's say just learn a lot but they can feel that you know the way you do things is you know puts people on the right track well uh, i would hope that there might have <laughs> there might be a few takeaways one is that they would begin to realize that both the investing and even the planning, when I mean like doing a financial plan, are, gosh, oh, that's not as complicated as I thought it was going to be. One of the books of the last, I guess, the last four or five years is a book called The Index Card. And that was, uh, I can't remember the name of the authors, but one of them is like a University of Chicago professor, another one's a journalist, said, hey, we could write on an index card the things that are important. And it's like, they all fit in an index card. Like, that's it. Now, they turned it into a book to give more explanation. But hopefully they would, um, our clients can have some sense of the overall simplicity of this. And, by, and, and I have to say, there are people that cannot accept that. When it, like, so if I say, hey, you just got to put it in a target fund and let it sit <laughs> No, there's, it's got to be more like there's, it can't be this simple. So that is actually hard for some people to, um, to do. So I would hope that our clients would, would feel much more confident about what they're doing due to the uh, simplicity that we try to share with them. Another, I guess another really important area that I would emphasize too is that, gosh, we are about as straightforward with our clients as I think an advisory firm is going to be. We're not going to we make no misrepresentations about returns, about what our process is, about how we're going to work with them. Um, so um, I, I think they know what they're getting from our firm. I think that they'll have, um, you know, our, our, our conversations with our clients are actually quite quick. We don't socialize that much with them on our call. I mean, we do, we, we, you know, we get, but we want to get down to business and, and help them move on. So there's, uh, we're very, um, uh, and I, it, it shouldn't, it, you can do this without coming across as being impersonal, but um, we're just, uh, we get things done with our clients quickly, so. Excellent. Well, Spearlifters will include all Mark's info in the video description below. And if you're listening, you can certainly check out our YouTube channel and get his information. And we hope that, you know, this episode really helped to get some clarity 
about you know your path for your own personal finance and investing and i thank you very much again mark and spear lifters we'll see you on our next episode thank you